Today on Mentor Moments, we have Crystal Weaver joining us. I think that constant learning that I'm going through, that I gravitate towards, helps me maintain that sense of vitality and a mindset of youth and vigor. Crystal currently is the director of music therapy at Maryville University. So Crystal, this year or this episode, this season, we're trying to go a little bit more into like these defining moments in your career and uh, kind of what, how they seemingly unimportant maybe moments or events sort of took you to unexpected places. But first to start off, like tell our listeners a little bit about you. Who are you? Where you work? What do you love about your job? All right. Well, as you said, my name is Crystal Weaver. I am a board certified music therapist. I'm also a certified rehabilitation counselor, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Missouri. Um, to give you a little bit of educational background on me, I have a bachelor's degree in music therapy from Maryville University. I have a master's degree in rehabilitation counseling with a specialization in music therapy from Maryville University. And I also have another master's degree in health administration from St. Louis University. And currently I am working on my doctorate in educational leadership with an emphasis in higher education administration at Lindenwood University. So my current job this year, I started a new position and I am the new director of the music therapy program at Maryville University. Before that, I spent 11 years at the St. Louis University Cancer Center, which was um, a division of the St. Louis University Medical School, School of Medicine. So even though I had not been fully working in academia, I was working as a clinician that reported to an academic uh, program. So the reporting structure I had was instead of reporting to a CEO or a president of the company, uh, my division actually reported to the dean of the School of Medicine and then to the president of St. Louis University. So it was an interesting hybrid between clinical practice and academic practice. Um, while I was at SLU, I did do adjunct faculty for St. Louis University and then also for Maryville University for both the music therapy and rehabilitation counseling programs. So I have probably a, a, a unique and diverse skill set, but you know, everyone asks me if there's one profession or one degree that I enjoy more than the others, and that answer is absolutely not. I enjoy music just as much as I enjoy accounting and finance for budgeting. <laughs> Every single one of those degrees I identify with and utilize in my profession. And, you know, I don't fully look at myself as a counselor or a music therapist or an administrator. I'm all of those things. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I was also thinking in preparing for this interview, you are probably one of the, the, the most diverse person, you know, <laughs> education wise that we've had. So yeah, we'd love to kind of hear your thoughts and perspectives. So yeah. Um, 
so kind of kind of shifting gears moving to like the next question that we we talk about and in season two we're we're spending some time talking about career development and so you you gave us a really good um i guess timeline of where you're at just like how your career has like developed so where do you see yourself on that developmental um stage i suppose but it's interesting i read that when you sent me that question as like a pre-interview piece it kind of had these categories of like entry you know mid-level experienced and i had a really difficult time trying to figure out where i specifically see myself i think i see myself as mid-career i know some individuals would see me as experienced you know I've been a clinician for almost 20 years, but in, you know, now that I'm in my forties, you know, I'm 42 now, sometimes I still view myself as 21. It's, <laughs> so I have to remind myself that I'm in my mid career. I always feel like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I have a, a mental state of, you know, oh, yes, I am. I am an adult with children. And, you know, you know, and then I think about how long I've been in you know, the healthcare industry and educational industries. I'm like, oh, it has been, you know, almost 20 years. Wow. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I have more experienced. I have, you know, more knowledge. I think the reason that I don't necessarily always feel that way is because I really do enjoy developing new skill sets. And it's not that I want to completely abandon something that I've already learned or a skill set that I've already developed, but the more skill sets I develop, the more I recognize how intertwined they are, how they can complement each other, you know, how music therapy interventions can complement counseling theories, can complement how we pay for those sessions um, through insurance and third-party vendors. And so I think that constant learning that I'm going through, that I gravitate towards, uh, helps me maintain that sense of vitality <laughs> and a mindset of youth and vigor, even though I'm now recognizing that I'm advancing in my career. So, yeah, I love that answer. And I, I just love for our listeners to really get a sense of where they're at and, and how maybe they evaluate where they're at and what's next. And then sort of, again, hear that from our listeners. And I hope our listeners can take from you just your, your zest for learning and always wanting to sort of develop and then seeing how you integrate um, everything that you are doing. So I think that's something to be commended. Yeah, I just recently, I'm taking a class right now for my doctorate degree at Lindenwood that's on American education and looking at different educational pioneers, many of them I had never even heard of before. Um, one of them was Alfie Kahn. And what was so interesting, I just wrote a paper on Alfie Kahn, was that he had this theory of student-directed learning 
And what I was able to bring to the class was that there was a significant overlap between his teachings as an educational pioneer and in that environment with person-centered therapy and Carl Rogers. Yes. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. For for those that can't see, Dr. Keener has a bunch of books and he's showing them to us. And so I don't know if Dr. Keener agrees, but I saw a lot of overlap with person-centered therapy and positive psychology. And I don't know if I would have necessarily made those connections or had those insights if I didn't have that skill set as a licensed professional counselor. So, you know, then that's a really good example of the more I learn, the more I realize that there's so many interconnections um, between pieces. I just, oh, he has an autograph. Did you have an autograph too? Yeah. <laughs> I might have to borrow those. I, I like, I just wrote it. I'll have to forge you my paper I wrote on him and see what you, if you agree with my perspectives on the well, yeah, first, theoretical overlap. Yeah, I first came in, in, in to know him in early childhood and in sort of his views on early child education and uh, sort of development that way. So yeah, I'd love to chat chat more. So. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was just about to say, Dr. Keener's like geeking out over there. Like, <laughs> oh, that's it. I got to see him in person. I mean, a friend of mine gave yeah, me this he's still, autograph, he's a but I, yeah. I saw him in person in back back in my early childhood days yeah. when he was then presenting. Also, a, a part of another report I did was on Jean Piaget, which, you know, as rehabilitation counselors, uh, we, we really understand that theory of development, but looking at it from that educational lens. And then also I was able, you know, recognizing that specific music therapy interventions are tailored to an individual's developmental stage with Piaget. So knowing when an individual is in like a pre-operational stage, they not only have concrete thinking, but that's also when beat competency occurs and an individual can start holding a steady beat. And that's why you can see your two-year-old child or your three-year-old niece and nephew actually moving to music in a synchronized time. So and that's when I really get excited is when seeing the overlap of all of those disciplines come together. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this might be a hard question to answer. I don't know. But like, do you think that if if you weren't so focused on like that lifelong learning piece, do you, do you feel like there's a possibility that you would feel bored or like stagnant or like maybe your you would your answer would be different? Like, oh, I feel like I'd be later in like my career development. I think so. I don't. And I don't, I tell individuals, I don't think that I'm smarter than other individuals. I think I'm just probably more on informed on very specific subject matters. I'm, you know, if, if you ask someone in my family or you ask my husband, would Crystal get bored if she wasn't doing some type of active learning? They would say probably absolutely yes. You know, my brother made a joke just recently with my father and I did think it was funny. He goes, you know, there's some people that get a bachelor's degree. There's some people that go to get their master's degree. There's some people that go to medical school and become a doctor. And then there's Crystal. (laughs) 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 You know, and so, but yeah, it it is, you know, it is a hobby. You know, they, they, I kind of had someone at, there was a thing for career development, for vocational development, where they said like, okay, if you won the lottery and you had $500 million and you didn't have to work for the rest of your life to get an income, what would you do with your time? And whatever you answered was kind of like a gateway question to that's what you should do for your career. 
So, you know, if you were like, oh, I would repair, you know, classical cars. And it's like, well, then maybe you want to, you know, explore being a mechanic for your career or maybe. And so taking away that income piece. Yeah. And so I would, when I was asked that question by a guidance counselor, I said, oh, I, you know, I would audit classes in colleges for the rest of my life. (laughs) So, yeah. And it's interesting. I haven't sacrificed a career to go to school, you know, and and so I do recognize the time that that takes to work full time. You know, there was one time I was, and I do not recommend this for everyone. I was working full time at the St. Louis University Cancer Center. I was teaching on adjunct faculty for both SLU and Maryville. I had a five-year-old. I was in school to get a master's in health administration and I was pregnant. And that was probably me pushing it to the maximum that I possibly could. So yeah, that that's talk that was having a very full schedule. But the benefit of some of the places that I've worked, St. Louis University, BJC, you know, even Maryville, is they have amazing tuition remission programs. And so I've been able to take advantage of some of these educational opportunities without um, without having any college debt, I guess I could say. So I'm very lucky in that situation. I recognize that. Very, very lucky. Well, Crystal, you, you, sorry again, you're giving us a picture of kind of who you are, but let's maybe dig a little bit, dig a little bit deeper. Can you share any moments throughout your career that were particularly impactful to you? And then what you, what did you learn from those events? So, well, impactful moments. Um, I'll share a couple. One and kind of one that goes with the theme that we're talking about. I actually had a very impactful moment from Dr. Bob Bernalino. I don't expect him to remember this if he listens to this podcast, but he was my advisor and I was getting um, my graduate degree in rehabilitation counseling. And I was going through that typical advising experience where we're choosing classes and figuring out when I want to, you know, what nights I'm going to be there and, you know, all those logistical things. And then just very off the cuff, I said to him, you know, it's going to be really disappointing and sad when I get to the point that I no longer a music therapist and I just become a counselor and I leave that entire identity behind. And he kind of like put a pause on the conversation and said, why do you let your job description dictate what you can bring to your clientele? He goes, I don't understand why you would think that if you have a title of a counselor that you wouldn't bring your skill set as a music therapist into the equation to benefit your clients and to cause positive therapeutic change. And when he said that, it changed my whole perspective on where I could take my career. So, you know, that's one example of just a very quick moment that may have seemed like a very, you know, fickle, you know, interaction, but it changed my entire perspective as a professional that I don't have to have one sole identity. And so that really sent me on a very different trajectory. And I don't think that would have happened if I wouldn't have said that comment in just kind of like a passing tone and he wouldn't have picked up on it and stopped the conversation and really gave me a different perspective. So 
Uh, do you also want like an example, like a clinical experience? <laughs> this is your episode. Tell okay. us what you want us to know. <laughs> so for clinical experiences, I know Brighton has had, had did have the wonderful opportunity of getting to do an internship at this Lou Cancer Center and experiencing that day-to-day experience. Um, some of the most impactful things I have learned many things from clients. I've also learned a lot of things from the individuals that I've worked in. I was really fortunate to work on an interdisciplinary team that had myself as a manager, but then a music therapist, a social worker, a rehabilitation counselor. And it was just so phenomenal to see what everyone brought and how everyone's skill set complemented each other. And Brayden will know who I'm talking about, the social worker that I got to work with was one of the most impressive clinicians I had ever met. Um, Some of it was just her natural abilities and some of it was a skill set that she developed. I had never met anyone who had a photographic memory and she absolutely did. So for hundreds of patients, she would just know their medical record number and their phone number and their address off the top of her head. And she really taught me how to work more quickly and efficiently. But then when the client comes in to talk with you face-to-face or on the phone, she could pause everything on a dime. She could stop everything and solely focus her attention on that individual. And I was just so intrigued by how she was able to manage that, the logistical side of her job. And then she could be completely patient-centered and person-centered. It was just like she could just turn it on and at a moment's notice and be completely focused on that individual. And it was so phenomenal to watch sometimes because patients would come into the clinic space and they'd say, I don't know if you remember me. And she goes, oh, I absolutely remember you. And she would say their name. And that's like how they joined. And some people haven't been there for like a year, two years. And she just had that natural ability. And that was, but what she taught me was that, yes, all the logistical things are important. You know, the forms to fill out and making sure someone has insurance and, you know, making sure they have their medications refilled and they have their transportation to get there. But all of those things are actually secondary to that one-on-one interaction and having that empathetic congruent connection with an individual so yeah so I think some of the biggest things I learned from you know professors mentors co-workers and interestingly enough I'm in my 40s and that social worker I'm talking about she's like 27 years old yeah (laughs) it's phenomenal just absolutely phenomenal that she had that level of insight at such a young age. I wish I could have been that way when I was her age. I, I, I'm <laughs> noticing this theme, like, no, no. I mean, like you hit the nail on the head because I think a, that's a lot of like the theme of this podcast, which is that like, if you meet a counselor, rehab counselor, you talk to yourself all the time, you've met one rehab counselor, one counselor. And if if anything, if there's any message that a listener takes away from these episodes, it's just how much this field is varied. Um, yeah. And, and I think you had a great experience and I don't know if you want to kind of chime in 
getting to be an intern with that individual as that's come from a completely different discipline, but you know, what, what that experience was like getting to observe music therapy sessions and work with the social worker, but then also work with rehabilitation counselors, you know, that there was that, you know, congruence and between all of the disciplines. So it's very cool. It all melts together like cohesively and every social worker that I've met operates so differently and so uniquely like that's the other thing is like it all it all it all works together but every music therapist I've ever met every like social worker like they all operate on their own like wavelength with their own experiences and yeah yeah but but <laughs> the one that yeah the the individuals I was able to work with at at SLU I mean the yeah. top top notch gold standard yeah. And that's social, Naomi Denton. She ends up watching this. this that's the social worker. <laughs> so, Crystal, has anything surprised you in your sort of career journey? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Let me think for one minute. I'm surprised I'm in the position that I am now. If you would have asked me a year and a half ago where I saw myself, I would have told you that. I would still be working in a inpatient hospital clinic setting, you know, in some type of administrative role, but also with direct patient contact. If you would have, you know, asked me like, oh, in like a year from now, two years from now, do you see yourself moving full time into an academic environment, into a director position? at your alma mater, I'd say, mm, probably not. You know, that wasn't that I really did not um, entertain that idea. Uh, but I did have a colleague that when the position became available, had a conversation with me and said, would you ever consider thinking about this? Um, and she really changed my perspective. I don't think she changed my perspective. She just opened me up to a new possibility that I had not entertained for myself. And so, you know, I had heard this position was open and my first reaction was, was, oh, that's nice. You know, and I kind of just went about my day and didn't really give it a lot of thought until, you know, this, um, you know, colleague of mine in the St. Louis community kind of had a pause and said, which I I think you might really want to think about this. This could be a good, career move for you so that's what's really surprised me is moving into a full-time academic role with that said you know I've I've really enjoyed the change I think I'm more settled now than I was in my first semester in my first semester here it's so jarring because when you work in a clinical environment it's really kind of more steady you know there's there's constant movement going on but it it, it kind of goes, we're in academia, there's like an ebb and flow, or <laughs> there's times when you're really, really busy and you're doing things like five nights a week and you're working days, and then you have a little bit more of a lull and then it picks back up. And then, and so it's kind of being a little bit more on a roller coaster than just being on the lazy river <laughs> in the theme park, <laughs> you know? And so just getting getting the rhythm down and the scheduling down. Um, was the biggest change for me. Uh, But once I've gotten more comfortable with that going into my second semester, I feel more kind of centered and at peace with 
going from one significant environment to another one. And I've seen music therapists do that. You know, I've had um, friends and colleagues that have gone from working like in a clinical setting to a school district, to hospice, and then into geriatrics. And I always was like, I don't even know how they are able to do that and, and flourish. And it's really just about giving yourself that time to adapt to the change and to, you know, kind of welcome that feeling of feeling a little off-centered for a period of time until you kind of relax more into the role. So I do feel this semester, I'm able to be more, I'm presenting more of my authentic self than I did when I was new to the role, so. Another piece of the season that we're touching on is, you know, that we're more than our careers. So when you're not doing, you know, that normal nine to five or whatever kind of hours <laughs> your your day looks like, what are you doing outside of work? Um, well, you know, personally, I'm, you know, I'm married. I have two kids. I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, I don't consider that a hobby, you know, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it takes up a lot of my time, <laughs> you know, but is, you know, like also identifying as a mother and having my family. And, um, so a lot of my extra time is spent, um, going to school of rock with my son where he takes drum lessons and, you know, dropping him off in the morning and to school and, you know, picking up my daughter and, and things of that nature and getting her settled into preschool. If you're asking about hobbies that I have, um, a couple of things. Well, first, many individuals think that if you're a musician of any kind, that obviously on your off hours at home, you're just playing music all night long, you know, and, and playing the guitar or playing the piano or singing. And that's actually not the case. You know, I, I tell people it's, it'd be the equivalent of a nurse going home and, you know, taking blood pressure you know, <laughs> for everyone in there. You know, it's like musicians actually don't take their work home as much as you think. You know, we have, you know we're doing some of the simple things that everybody else is doing, like watching House of the Dragon and, you know, other, other things of that nature. Um, I guess things I do specifically, I read a lot. I read about probably like one book every two to three days. Um, I really enjoy um, science fiction, uh, which is interesting. I think I like that genre because it's very removed from anything that I am thinking about uh, during the day. So I was really, really excited when the first Dune movie came out and then really let down because I don't think anybody's going to make a movie there was a 1980s version. There's this version that's going to be great. The best version I ever saw was on the Science Fiction Network. They did a six-hour miniseries with, um, like, James McAvoy and William Hurt, ironically enough. And I think that was the best interpretation of that science fiction novel. But did I you, love the Dune series. Did you read Dune in two to three days? Oh, yeah. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they have, like, um, it's actually five novels by Frank Herbert and then his son wrote a lot of prequels and things of that nature so I read pretty quickly it's something I like to do um before I go to bed at night so I usually read like you know 
you know, like if I put my kids down to bed at like eight, nine o'clock, then like from like nine to midnight, sometimes 1 a.m. I'm usually reading between like three or four hours a night. Um, my husband's had to tell me before, like, you really probably need to go to bed now, you know, but, and then the other thing I do that I really enjoy, which Brayton will probably know is I love talking. Um, that is a hobby and an art form that I don't think is completely appreciated is getting together with your friends and there is an art to telling entertaining stories uh, <laughs> that have you know a natural progression and a flow and a punchline and can you take something that was funny at 30 minutes ago from a conversation and loop it back in um i think brighton's gotten to see kind of that at its height when we have lunch breaks that group that I worked with we all seem to have that same hobby <laughs> and really enjoyed that art form of storytelling and kind of bouncing off each other's so one of my hobbies is actually talking oh. and it's true right it's an art it's it's an it's a form of entertainment mm -hmm. of listening to somebody else tell some fabulous story or just viewpoint that they have and then you doing it for them and it is an amazing stress reliever during your lunch break during the day. So, Crystal, tell us about, I mean, you just gave us a great picture of your life. So you might not have time for volunteer activities, but just sort of the importance of maybe yeah. giving back to the profession, whether it's a professional organization or just, you know, one time kind of volunteer things. Yeah, I actually have time to do a couple of volunteer things. Um, so one thing that I've done, this will be my second year um, doing it. I'm actually on the uh, curriculum review committee for the Francis House School District, um, where we meet once a month. Um, and they have uh, different individuals from the community. And I represent a region of the Francis House School District and read through different curriculums that they're proposing for K through 12 schools and vote on whether or not that gets um, moved to the board to be approved. Um, that also, that committee also focuses on approving textbooks um, for the school district and then other um, learning initiatives. One thing that really excited me that we just had our meeting a couple weeks ago um, where they were talking about adopting curriculums that are solely focused on social behavioral development. So in addition to, you know, geometry and you know, English and writing and science and social studies curriculums, they're working on adopting a curriculum just for K through 12 social emotional development. So that I got to probably contribute a little bit more than um, some of the other curriculum meetings that I felt I had a little bit more of a skill set. So that is one thing I do as a volunteer. I also um, am on an advisory board for the cancer support community, which is an amazing nonprofit organization uh, that provides free support services, including support groups, individual counseling, like dietitian services, music therapy services for all individuals in the St. Louis area who have a cancer diagnosis. So I really, really enjoy getting to do that as well. So I wish I had more time, but sure. I'm hoping that, you know, does a little bit. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're at the point of our podcast episode where, you know, we like to give the mic over to our guest and 
give the opportunity to share like a piece of knowledge tip um anything that you'd like to share to our listeners as your mentor moment i would say you know for any individuals that you know want to have any longevity whatsoever in any type of helping profession whether that's a counselor vocational rehabilitation counseling education anything where you are of service to other individuals really you know while you put your all into that while you're there and you concentrate on those individuals that you are providing those services to to really really have moments throughout your day where you are experiencing joy, not just pleasure. You know, I like shopping and chocolate cake, just like everybody else. But there's times where I really want to experience joy. And the way that I have cultivated that for my career is to always have a work family, to have a cohort that I can be my genuine self that I can be self-deprecating, um, that I can laugh with, that I can easily admit mistakes or issues that I'm having and not feel that I'm in a place of judgment. And if I'm able to cultivate that where I'm working, I find that my stress levels are always lower. It doesn't mean that I'm not going through intense experiences. You know, I've been in intense experiences but I would not categorize them as stressful experiences because I've had that work family. So where we always think of, you know, look at stress management and taking time for yourself and exercise and nutrition and meditation. And while all those things are amazing, I have found that for myself, the best way that I've regulated or and diminished my stress and had longevity um, in the helping services is by being able to have authentic connections with my coworkers and my friends and my family. Krista, I don't think we could have ended the episode any better than that. <laughs> appreciate spending time with us and our listeners, and I, I know they'll benefit. So thank you for joining yeah. us. Well, no, it's been great. You know, I always like talking to you. You're always just down the hall, and it's always great to see Brayton. We want to thank you guys again for listening to another episode of Mentor Moments. And we want to take this time to listen to you guys, our audience. If there's anybody specific or anyone in a general field of study that you would love for us to interview, feel free to give us an email. We'll put our contact information in the description of this episode. We couldn't be more happy about the amount of listens and plays and interaction that we have gotten from season one and season two. Brayton and I are continually trying to be innovative, create new episodes, uh, new features in the episodes. So please, as Brayton said, let us know your thoughts. We, we want to meet your needs and continue to grow Mentor Moments.